So again, you obviously know we're in this church-wide campaign. That's what this identity series is. And what that means is, it means that obviously we preach every Sunday for the next six weeks through the, the six topics. In the life groups, like Terry mentioned, there's a 20-minute video. And in this workbook, did, did you hand out workbooks? We did handouts, eh? People didn't get last week. There's a little section where you watch the video, you fill in the forms, and the life groups have a discussion about it. And then in the middle of the book, there's a 36-day devotional that you can do. Now, I don't know if you've done the devotionals, but I mean, I started on Tuesday with mine, Wednesday, and then my, my, my week just ran away with me. So, so I didn't get to do the other, the other four. But what I did yesterday is I, I just went through them. It took about a half an hour and just read through each of them, made notes, and I tell you guys, I mean, I'm, I've been a pastor for this, for this church for 21 years and four years before it uh, at, at Cornerstone, and to just read through these things, and just, it felt like I was just being washed, just being reminded of who God is, of what He's done for us. Amen? And so this is our absolute best effort to position you and us as a church to receive the full impact of this series. You know, if you come to the Sunday morning, you're going to get 33%. If you come to the Sunday morning and go to life group, you're going to get 66%. And if you do the devotions and you do those things, I'm telling you, you're giving yourself a 100% charge of allowing the Holy Spirit to minister deep into your hearts what God is doing with us. Is that cool? And so that's just an explanation of that. All right. So let's kick into it. This, if, you go in your, if you turn in your books to page six, I think it is, you'll see there on the left-hand side, there's a place for you to take notes. And if you are taking notes and you want a title this morning, then you're going to go this. I am his child, and he is my father. That's the title for this week. I'm his child, and he is my father. That is our identity. Amen? And that's part of our identity series. We're going to look at five different identities that we have over the next remaining five weeks. And this week we're doing, I'm his child and he is my daughter. Uh, he's my father, not my daughter. Now, you know, guys, I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say, and there's so many psychological studies done on this. The big socioeconomic problems that we have, not just in our nation, but in the nations of the earth, when they draw that thing down, what are the root causes? Do you know what it is? Fatherless families and, and, and families that have got bad examples or bad fathers. My own personal testimony uh, is that, you know, my mom and dad uh, were separated and got divorced when I was about eight or nine years old. Uh, my dad then died when I was in standard uh, grade 11 and, uh, and then so grew up without a dad, you know. And I tell you, I, I realize, as obviously I've realized throughout my life, but even just preparing for the series, that that, that affected me. Now, I want to tell you, if, you can, if there is such a good thing as a good divorce, my mom and dad's divorce was good. They never fought about money. They nev I never once felt manipulated by them in terms of, uh, you know, using the, uh, the kids as pawns in terms of, the, of that thing. But it still affected my heart. And there were three things that, that as I've looked at my life, that, that it affected me. Number one, um, let me just get to my notes. It I, no one sat me down and said this to me, but this is what my hurt boy growing up 
learned, hey, no one's looking out for you. You've got to look out for number one. No one's got your back. So you must make sure you've got your own back. And so you kind of live through life like this, always just a little bit weary, always just on the watch out, because actually, who can you trust? Who's there really for you when the chips are down? Okay? Second thing was that there was just this mistrust of authority. There was just this, mm, I'm not so sure. I've got to just be guarded with those in authority. Then this one was particularly interesting because I only discovered this later on in my life. There was this cycle that the devil got established in my heart. And guys, I think I only really discovered this about 10 years ago, and I'm 51. Because I've had many men in my life, through my life growing up, thank God for them, who God used to father me and mentor me in, in the church and in the kingdom. But I realized this thing. When these, I, was, I wasn't a great disciple and I wasn't a great son because I'd never known how to be a great son. I never had a dad, right? And because of this hurt, this is what would happen with me. Every, I would get close to a man, get close to someone, but then as soon as I saw weakness in that individual, maybe a wrong motive or maybe, I don't know, just a character flaw or something in the person and I realized, whoa, they're not perfect. Do you know what I'd do? The shields would come up. The defense mechanism would come up. Like, I can't open my heart to that person anymore. And, and I, it wasn't conscious. It was subconscious. And I didn't even realize it was happening until later on in my life. And I didn't know why until I discovered this is what it was. It was a nine-year-old boy's defense mechanism. I've been hurt. I was hurt. There's issues in your life, and I'm not going to allow your issues to hurt me, so I close my life off to you. Isn't that interesting, hey? And I'll tell you what, it's, so then, uh, sure, Mark and Marie Bailey, stay in the box. I've been told to get back in the box for the video. Mark and Marie Bailey, a couple that were on eldership in our church and planted a church in Clarksdorp 10 years ago called Sit in a Hill Church which is thriving in God. They, they built a thousand-seater auditorium. They've planted a church into plot. Mark and Marie handed it over, and they're in the States now, leading a church there. But this, Mark and Marie, Mark came into my life, and I discipled him, and we as a church grew him up, and then we released him to go plant the church. But I was discipling Mark, and I was mentoring Mark. And I saw in Mark an ability to follow me and be led by me, and be fathered by me, although I was imperfect, and although I was messing it up at times. This guy, you know, I don't know if you've seen those kids' toys with the like weight in the bottom. The kid punches it, the toy goes down, and it pops back up. Boom, boom. It's always, you know, you just can't get that thing down. And Mark was like that, just boom, he's up again. Boom, he's up again. And I look at him, and, and the Lord, and, and the one time, <laughs> We had had a prayer session, and he had left to go do something. And we were ministering to his wife. And I said to him, hey, but you just dishonored your wife. You dishonored the Lord. You dishonored Barry. You dishonored me. And I was right in what I was saying, but I was saying at the top of my voice, this vein was popping out, and I wasn't doing a good job in that moment. Unbeknown to me, 
Mark had got a job offer that morning at another church. All he had to do was lead worship and do the youth on a Friday night. But that was a hireling job where it was going to be a corporate environment where he was just do it. No one was going to disciple him. No one was going to father him. But in that moment, he, had, he thought to himself, I don't need this. I don't need this guy tuning me. You know, I'm, I can take that job. And the Lord said to him, listen, I brought you from Clarkstop for this exact reason. You need this man to father you. Even if he's not a perfect father. So anyway, so Mark was relaying this to me a couple of years later, you know. And in, and in that moment, the Lord said to me, what's the difference between you, Bruce McAlpine, and Mark Bailey? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> and the Lord said to me, your father's. You see, you had a dad for nine years, and then you didn't have a dad for the rest of your life. You divorced and then died. So you've grown up with this thinking and this mentality that the person that has to father you has got to be perfect. And if they're not perfect, they're going to hurt you and you kick out of the process. Mark, on the other hand, has had a dad his whole life. And he had a good dad. Clive Bailey, I know him, he's a good man. But I want to tell you, Clive Bailey is not a perfect man. And Clive, if you were standing here, he'd be the first to tell you that. So, so the point of the story is this. Mark grew up with an imperfect father, but a father that loved him, a father that led him, a father that took him into his destiny. So he could receive from me an imperfect spiritual father because his heart was whole and his outlook on life and fathering was realistic. Do you understand that? Now, I just know. Okay, so then Mara and I, we, we fostered two, two, two young boys, eh? And I could check those guys had daddy issues, and they couldn't receive from me. And as I've led this church for 21 years, I see young men and women come in, and they like me, they didn't have fathers, and they've got all of these insecurities and all of these defense mechanisms in place. And one of the things that we've got to be healed from is this thinking that on earth, we need perfect, perfect fathers or mothers, otherwise they can't touch us. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Now why? Why is it? Here's the thing, even though I'm a flawed parent and you're a flawed parent, and even though I'm doing my very best to, to, to father my children and to, and to spiritually shepherd this church, I'm gonna fall short. But guess what? So are you. In your business, in your leadership, in your family, and in your environment. So then, but he has the hope and he has the good news. Both my kids and me and your kids and you and your people you work for you and the people that you work for. And the, me as the shepherd of this church with the other shepherds and you as the, the, the people that are shepherded in this church. What's our hope? I and you have a heavenly father who loves us more than we'll ever know. And no matter how poorly I do as a father or as a shepherd, although I'm trying my best, and no matter how poorly you do it, we all have access 
to a relationship with an infinitely good, infinitely perfectly heavenly Father that is ultimately in control of our lives and our destinies. And that's where the hope is. And that's where the life is. That God is sovereign and in control of our lives and our destinies. And I'll be honest with you, hey guys, when I was, if you told my nine-year-old self growing up, listen, the divorce, the death, in this building, I lost eight million rand when I was 23 years old. Because I was proud and arrogant and I thought I was God's gift to Christian church and business. But God, if, as I look back now, I can see how God took me through all of that and has given me the ability to help people that have come through situations of imperfect fathering, divorces, deaths, business failures. And sometimes you've got to go through some things, not for, I'm going through it because I've got to go through it because that's my life. But why does this good heavenly father allow it? Simple. He's going to give me victory. And that victory is going to help other people to get victory. And your victory is going to help other people to get victory in their lives. Because every victim that comes out on the other side, a victor is a warrior that can set other people free. And so this is what the Bible says. God is able to work all things, what? For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's what we've got to realize, my friends. God, God allows things to happen in our lives because God is able to turn all things for good if we position ourselves in the right way, get over our hurts, get over our fears, get over our insecurities, receive from people, learn, and move forward in his kingdom. But that needs you to know that he is a good, perfect heavenly father, and you, if you're born again and accepted into his family, are his child. Are you with me this morning? Took a little bit longer in the introduction there, but I hope it's, I hope it's helpful. Okay? The need. I'm trying to show you the need for good fathers. I'm trying to show you the need for a good identity as a son or daughter of God. So we're going to read a couple of verses from our, if in this book, Ephesians chapter 1, which is the key chapter for this series. It's right in the front of your book. I'm going to read... Verse 2, verse 3, verse 17, and verse 4 for us. If you got it there? So let's read it. Ephesians chapter 2 and, sorry, verse, chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the key word there? God our Father. You can, you can circle if you want. Our Father. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, what's the key word? God and Father. And then verse 17, it says this. This is a very, very interesting verse. Hey? If I ask you to describe your heaven, your earthly father, how would you describe him? Okay, listen to how the Bible describes our, our father. Verse 17. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Circle the glorious father. God is a glorious father. He's the best father. He's a perfect father. Amen? And then let's finish off by reading, by, by reading Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. 
He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, you know that phrase, I'm in love with you. I remember at school. I'm in love with you. You tell the girl, I'm in love with you. You tell the guy, I'm in love with you. Am I right? I mean, there was a lot behind that in love. Am I right? Okay, now that was childish infatuation at best. Am I right? And if you've been married for a long time, you'll realize that I've been married for 29 years. And I tell you, I've had to choose to love Myra and choose to fall in love with Myra and keep on choosing it many times. And guess what? It's the absolute best choice you can ever make. Amen? Because I don't care who you marry. You can marry Miss South Africa. You're going to fall out of love with her many times. Or you can, you know, marry Mr. South Africa. I'm telling you guys, because we are fallen human beings, love waxes and wanes. And you've got to make a conscious choice to keep on loving. That's what covenantal love. I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. And what it says there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, in love, he predestined, he chose you. And God, I want to tell you, the Bible says, your mercies are new every morning, they are new every day. Every day God wakes up and says, I love you, I choose you, I love you, I choose you. And you've got to know that. Amen? But now this is important. It says there, I wonder if we could fully grasp this. Before I was born, God knew me, he chose me, and he loved me. Isn't that incredible? By our very fallen nature, we are God rejectors. We rebel against God. We, like me, I'm sure like me, you know, we look at God and we've got a bit of doubt. We've got a bit of suspicion. We just, you know, yeah, God is good. God is all there, but why about all the bad stuff? And there's all these questions that we have in our hearts about our heavenly father. In spite of those things, God says, listen, you don't know me. You don't know my character. You don't know my nature. You don't fully know me, but I fully know you. And I know the good, I know the bad, and I know the ugly about you. And even though I know you fully, do you know what I say? I love you. I choose you. You are mine. You belong to me. Oh, you know, in one of the life groups this week, uh, when they were discussing identity, one of the ladies said this. You know, for me, she says, it's no problem to accept God's love and my identity when I'm doing well, when I'm feeling good, when I'm, life is good, when I'm behaving and my Christian walks around. She said, when I'm blown it, when I've, when I've made mistakes, when I've, when I've been a failure, ah, she says, then it's a, it's a challenge to, to feel the same way. Are you with me? But how do we know what God thinks about us. This is what the Bible says. While you were dead in your sins, when you were dead in your trespasses, when you were without God and without hope in the world, God loved you and he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember Alan Parfit from a couple of weeks ago? He read to us from Deuteronomy, speaking of the Israelites, he says, in love, God chose you, even although you were not the most numerous or the whatever, he, loved, he chose you just because he loves you. Isn't that amazing? So I'll tell you the story. I think it was about 2004. As a church, our name is Lighthouse to the Nations. And so we work into Brazil, Venezuela, Colombia. Jonathan, Terry says we imp she imported him. I actually met Jonathan in Colombia. Invited him to an internship here, like Ethan is doing. 
And then Terry and him were like oil and water. They didn't even get along, you know. But things happened, and then they fell in love towards the end of the year. Thank God, not the beginning of the year. And it was about a week before he was going back to Colombia. And uh, the rest is history. But that's how, so, but the start of it, when we planted the church in 2001, I was only working into Brazil and Venezuela. And on one of those trips, we did an outreach into Sao Paulo. Now, if you know Brazil, you know soccer is bigger than rugby in Brazil. I don't even think they play rugby in Brazil, okay? And what we did is they divided, they divided all the international guys that were in this, on this trip into like about 10 of us. And then they had this tournament with 10 soccer teams. And each of these soccer teams had to have an international player play soccer in the tournament with them. And the whole idea was that, that you would play soccer with these guys, connect with them, share the gospel with them, and make it an outreach. And then at the prize giving, we then, someone, I think I preached the gospel that night and guys got saved. It was a wonderful time. But this particular team, they chose me. Are you with me? Now, guys, I'm not a great soccer player. In fact, I'm a pretty bad soccer player. Rugby, I played lock. Are you with me? But soccer, it's not my forte, but. And when I played, the team didn't do so well, okay? <laughs> and so I was better help off the team than on the team, but I had to play for a certain number of minutes in the game, and um, it was all that. But here's the thing. They chose me. Are you with me? And, and I had no clue who they were. Are you with me? But this team, and this, there's a guy here, his name's Anderson. He actually is one of the best amateur coaches in Brazil. And actually now he's got his own club that he prepares these kids from a grassroots level up. And he's a friend of mine. And he said, now, Bruce, come play for us. Anyway, so we, we go through the knockout stages. We come on top. Then we go to the, pool, uh, the, 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 the quarterfinals. We win it. Semifinals, we win it. In the final, we win the whole thing. We won the whole thing. That's the T-shirt, and that's the medal. I got the T-shirt, I got the medal. Now, here's the thing. Can I play good soccer? No, I'm a, I suck at soccer. Was I chosen based on my abilities? No. In the, in the, in the, in the devotions, uh, it says here on page, uh, which was it? I think it was page, anyway. It says this page, it says, to be chosen by someone special for something special is a great honor. And that day, this, I was chosen by a special team. I didn't even know how special they were. And because they chose me, I won the whole tournament. In spite of the fact that I can't play good soccer. And it's like in that moment, the Lord said to me, this is the gospel. But I didn't really understand it. I'll be honest with you guys. So I preached that night and I showed them the thing and I shared what I've just shared with you. But then about six months later, I'm on a bus from Bulawayo to Arari. Just me. It's a blue arrow bus. I've been ministering in Zimbabwe and I'm going back to Arari. And I'm sitting in the back of this bus and I'm thinking about my life, and God is, honestly, it was like the Lord met me in the back of that bus, and he reminded me of this thing, and he just unpacked it for me at such a deep level, and he said, Bruce, your entry into my kingdom 
is not based on your ability. It's based on my choosing of you. Your entry in that team was not based on your ability. And he said to me, but because they chose you and because I chose you, you're a champion. You got the gold medal. You got the clothing of the, of the team and in the t-shirt. In every respect, you qualified. No one can take that away from you. That's what it's like in my kingdom. But if you had stayed in Brazil and you had stayed mates with those guys and you had trained with them, would you have kept on playing bad soccer? No. You would have become a great soccer player because those that you hang around with rub off on you. Yes? And, then, and it's just like, that's what it's like in my kingdom. My, my, your adoption as my child into your family has got nothing to do with you, how good you are, how bad you are, any, or your abilities or your lack of abilities. It's simply because I love you. And then I bring you into my family because I've chosen you. So is God a very special being? Listen, if God is the God who he says he is in the Bible, that he created everything from nothing, that he owns the cattle on the thousand hills, that, that the world exists in him, he doesn't exist in the world, that he is eternal, that being, look down over heaven, you know, quality street suites, all of you got a favorite, hey, in our family it's that triangle, that, that the triangle green one, there's only like two in the packet, the kids are like, that's, in that sense, if, you, if the world is quality streets, God looked down. And if you're born again this morning, God says, I choose you. You're my quality street. You're my quality. Are you with me? So you were chosen by someone, for, by someone special. And you were chosen to be adopted into his family, into his kingdom. And then you grow up in that kingdom. And then he says, you are invited by me to come and play soccer with us. And we go and get all other people to come and join our team and play soccer with us so they can become good soccer players. So you are chosen for a special purpose, to be God's ambassador in this earth to represent him well. Now, guys, if you get that, then you understand you were chosen by God, who is special, for something special to represent him and his kingdom well on earth. Isn't that an amazing thing? And so, the Lord told me, bring this today. Now, another thing that happened during the week at the life groups, they asked the question, how do we change? How do we get this identity from our heads to our hearts? And one of the things that was said was this, you need to have truth encounters with your father. You need to have a truth encounter with your father. Now, what? What is a truth encounter? This is a truth encounter. A truth encounter is where God takes theoretical knowledge, knowledge of the Bible. Not, we've just read Ephesians 1, and you read the words, and they say, hey, this is who you are. But then a truth encounter is when they, you go through an experience in life, and then God reveals to you, Something about yourself, your character, and your nature, your identity, like he did for me here. And it just goes, boom. Even with me and Mark and my dad and the, the, the scheme of the devil trapping me off, shunning people, defense mechanism, not letting people into my heart. I had a truth encounter. I saw how the devil was keeping me from good men in my life that could disciple me and grow me. Truth encounter, set free. Now I've got men speaking into my life. 
We need to have, we need, now your heavenly father longs to be in relationship with you, longs for you to invite him into your life, and longs to make, for you to make him an everyday part of your life as his child. And if you do that, he'll walk with you through life. Now, I know I, know I shared this with you guys a couple of weeks ago, but, but I think it, with this series, it's important, and I'm going to take the last couple of minutes to show it to you. The Bible presents us as God's children, and God gave us physical life. You heard that in the life group on Sunday, I mean, on, during the week. God gave you physical life. He gave you a body. That's what the cup re- represents, your body. Then what God did is he gave you a brain, all right? And your brain would contain your, your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you have a soul inside of you, okay? Then the Bible says that when God had made the, the, the man, Adam, and he gave him in the brain, he did this, he breathed, he went, he breathed the breath of God into him. And that was God gave man a spirit. And so God made man body, soul, and spirit, all right? Beautiful, perfect. God steps, steps back from creation, and he looks and he says, and God saw, and it was good. Mankind was very good. Then God gives man one life-giving limitation. Hey, there's a tree in the, in the Garden of Eden called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of that tree, don't eat of that tree, because when you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Now, just to understand how fair God was, the Garden of Eden is like Kruger Park. And in Kruger Park, there's one limitation, one tree. Some people think Christianity is a tightrope, and that if you step out of land, God's going to smack you. My friends, Christianity is a garden of God's will, and he puts some boundaries in, and those boundaries are not to destroy your fun, they are to protect you, they're to help you. They to give you life and life abundantly. And he warns you about stuff to protect you. But he gives you that stuff, the potential, because he doesn't want robots. He wants beings that choose to love him. You with me? And so enter Satan. And Satan manifests to Adam and Eve. And why did God allow Satan? To give man choice. And Satan comes to Eve and says to him, hey, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? She's like, no, we can eat from any tree. There's only one tree we shouldn't eat from. Guys, don't even start speaking to Satan. Just shut him down. Don't don't, don't get involved in the conversation. Because that was just to get her in. Then he says, you will surely not die. A hundred percent contradiction to what God said. For God knows when you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. When she saw the tree was good for food, desirable for gaining wisdom, and I think and one other thing, she took it, ate of it, and gave some to her husband who was with her. Now, in that moment, the Bible tells us that they became tainted by sin. Okay? Now, what part of them? So, what happened to their spirits? The Bible says that their spirits died to their connection to God, but their spirits became connected to their new God, their new father, Satan. Their souls, their mind, will, and emotions were corrupted, and their bodies were corrupted. And so man became fallen. And Satan, the Bible, Jesus said that um, the ruler of this earth, are you with me? Satan 
because God had given Adam and Eve rule and responsibility over the earth, they gave that to, Adam, to Satan. And Satan now gained control of the kingdom of this world. And in the kingdoms of this world, and if you remember our prodigal son series, Satan has got two manifestations of his kingdom in this world. The one is worldliness, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's obvious. The other one is religion. And when we talk about religion, we talk about man's effort in this fallen state to come to this state through his own works. Now, let me just recap for quickly. When man died, sorry, when man took that, that, when Adam and Eve ate, did they wake up the next morning dead? No. So what part of man died? This part, their connection to their father. God, before, God was their head and their father. After man died, God's headship was replaced with Satan's, and God's, the man's spirit was now connected to Satan. Jesus says in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desires. That's the state, according to the Bible, of every single human being outside of Christ. What's the time? 11, okay, I'll, I'm going I'm to finish, I just want to finish the illustration. Now, God does something. He sends Jesus. Born as a man, but Jesus comes sinlessly perfect. The virgin birth is important because it's immaculate conception. A virgin's womb is considered to be holy. Jesus is born of divine sperm, divine seed. Okay, and Jesus has got a perfect connection with his father. He's the third person to be created sinless. Adam and Eve were the first two, and they fell. Then God sends Jesus into this earth to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. While you were dead in your sins, we read it, God sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for you. All right? And then Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, John 3 says this. Nicodemus, a religious man, religious man. Unless you are born again, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? Must I go back into my mother's womb? He's thinking physical life. Jesus says, no, you need to be born of the water and of the spirit. So what part of man needs to be born again? His spirit. And the second you give your life to Jesus and you, and you accept Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says that you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness and you're adopted back into God's family. And, you're, and you, you've been, you were given physical life back then when you were born. But now God gives you back what? Spiritual life. And in that moment, you get a new identity. You become a child of God. You are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Satan was your head. Now God is your head again. Are you with me? So, your spirit is perfect, but there's a problem. When you look under this thing, still lilac, your mind. Is your mind instantly transformed when you're born again? So all the bad thoughts, all the negative experiences from the past, all of the hurts, is it completely erased? No. All the emotions, still there. The, the, the decisions, the habitual decisions you make, still there. Your body still has got lusts and desires, 
that are part of your old self. So now what does God do? This is so important. You need to understand this. He gives you a new identity. And this is what a lot of Christians struggle with. It says there, you are a saint. You are God's holy people. And then it says, be holy. You are holy. Now, be holy. And have you, often the devil come to you, Steve, and he'll say, oh, you're not really saved, Steve. You're not really a child of God. So what he's calling, he's telling you, you're not really this. So he's lying to you. He's saying he's questioning this. But the basis on which he's questioning this is he's pointing to this. And he's not lying in that sense because this still needs to become like this. But it's a lie because in Christ you are forgiven. In Christ, in Jesus, in love, that's who you are. Now what God does, how do you change? How do you grow? You take the word of God and you start to renew your mind. You take the spirit of God, he starts to fill you. Why do we come to church on a Sunday? To learn these things. Why do we go to life group? To learn these things. Why do you pray at home? Why do you spend time in the Bible? Why do you worship? Why do you give thanksgiving? The word of God, the spirit of God in the church, the fellowship of the believers, what does it do? It transforms your mind. It renews your mind. It renews your body. It renews your emotions. It renews your will. And you start to become on the inside what God has made you on the outside. That's the process of sanctification. Now, unfortunately for us, it's not just a one-sided game. You, you are constantly making choices. Some of them are religious choices. <laughs> Some of them are worldly choices. You have a big night with the boys. Doesn't go well. You have a girl's night out. Doesn't go well. In business, you're tempted to do stuff. Many temptations come our way. Every choice we make, you've got three options. Be religious, be worldly, or be a part of the kingdom. And that's why this thing takes time. But what you need to understand today, that no matter what choices you make, once you've made the choice to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to make Jesus your King, you are His child. He is your Father. And you are connected now, obviously, as a good father, he wants, to, he wants you to keep on making, consistently making good choices, and you should. But listen to me. Don't make those good choices in a sense to earn brownie points with God. That's religious thinking. Oh, if, I make, if I'm a good boy and I make good choices, then God will bless me. That's religious thinking. Make good choices. Read the Bible. Pray. Go to church. Because you are in love with him, he is in love with you, and you want to grow in your relationship with your heavenly father, getting to know him better, his character and his nature. And the more you do that, the more you will want to do those things. It's an ever-increasing positive cycle. When you do it religiously, and then God doesn't behave and do what you want, then you're like, okay, I'm going to spite God. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. Sometimes we like this, we play these religious games with God. Let me tell you, my friend, God can't be manipulated. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants you to make good choices. He wants to bless you. He wants you to do these things. But he's not going to get into your games. He's going to mature you, and he's going to grow you in love. And he's going to say, my friend, come and spend time with me. I'm a good father. I'm not at all like your earthly father. 
Amen? Um, yes, some tough things may happen in your life, but I promise you, I will be with you every step of the way. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And whatever happens to you in your life, I will be with you. And I will make sure that I can turn it for your good and for your blessing. I don't know about you, but I need that identity to be settled in my life. And I need that relationship constantly in my life. And I need to fight every lie of the devil that comes in here. Amen? That wants to close that identity gap. You see, the gap between this pure white and how clear that water is, that's the identity gap. This closes that gap. And this enlarges that gap. Make sure you're making the right choices. Why don't you stand to your feet? In this book, there's a, the identity creed. And as a church, what we want to do after every Sunday is we, we want to declare this creed. Amen? So I wonder if you could open your books there on page two. And I'm going to read this aloud, and I'd invite you to read it with me. Can we read it together? Let's go for it. My identity creed. I am a child of God. I am made in the image of God. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I was chosen by Him before the world began. I'm loved more than I'll ever know. My Father knows me. My Father cares for me. My Father takes great delight in me. I have been redeemed. I have been set free. I have been forgiven. I'm a saint. I'm loved in the beloved. I'm designed and destined for great purposes in Him. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am God's holy temple. I'm intended to live for His glory. Christ dwells in me. I am a new creation. I am a child of the light. I am a part of a new family. I am precious. I am called. I am empowered. I am God's inheritance. I am a co-heir with Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. I am seated with Him in the heavenly places. I am a child of God. Can we say amen? Amen. If you, if you know that you're not born again, you know that you haven't given your life to Christ, I want to invite you after the service, come and meet with some of us in the corner there. We'd love to give you that opportunity to be saved. And then if you, if you perhaps you're a prodigal, perhaps you know you've been far from God and you would like to come back to God, we'd love to meet you there as well. Are you going to close for us in prayer? Wonderful.